This episode of the Hardman Podcast is brought to you by Premier Body Armor and by Private Family Banking. Welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kahn. And in today's discussion, we're going to be talking with Pastor Dan Burkholder and myself about the recent Kevin DeYoung article uh, that was really critiquing the Moscow mood. As we jump into the discussion, I do also want to give a quick plug for an article that came out from Dr. Joe Rigney on the American Reformer. And this was titled On Satire, Moods, and What We're Known For. For those of you who don't know, uh, Dr. Rigney is um, one of the fellows up at New St. Andrews. He's teaching there at the school. We've had him on the King's Hall podcast. And I, I think this was a really helpful response. It's sort of like everything that I would have wanted to say if I was more eloquent and clear spoken as uh, Dr. Rigney is. So we really appreciate that. We'll link to that as well in the show notes, uh, but do want to make you aware of that. If you were one of the people who was saying, what is a really cogent response to the criticism of Moscow and the Moscow mood? I think this is a very, very helpful piece, so I would encourage you to check that out as well. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I'm joined today by Pastor Dan Burkholder. This is sort of a pugilist, Dan. Yeah, well, I was surprised when you said Hardman Podcast. I, I know. thought it was well, a it's going, in, it's going in the main feed. Yeah, yeah. Usually you only have me on when it's behind a paywall where not many people are going to listen. So that should just give you an idea of the quality of this episode to expect. Yeah, let me tell you why it's behind a paywall, <laughs> because we're protecting everyone from how spicy Pastor Dan is. No, we have a great time in The Pugilist. Um, so this is a, a good taste of what you might get in the Patreon-exclusive show uh, we've been going through William Googe, uh, one of my personal favorites. We recently did Keswickian Theology. Yeah, yeah. Which somebody sent a comment. Uh, this was about adoption stuffs. But somebody sent a comment. So this is really tied to Keswickian Theology. And I thought, honestly, my first response was that seems really obscure and boring. And we started reading and learning. And it was like, no, this is actually fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it was. Kind and of a is. two-tiered Christianity. Yeah, so, multi-tiered Christianity, where if you do certain things, then you've reached a higher plane of Christianity. And this is like- Which sounds weird. crazy, but people actually believe it. Crazy, but real. Yeah. Big if true, the kids say these days. So, yes, yes, they do say that. Also big if true, Dan, people can join today on Patreon for as little as $5 a month to get full access to The Pugilist, which is normally a Patreon-exclusive show. $5 a month? As little as. With inflation? I don't even bend over to pick up a $5 bill anymore. <laughs> I don't even bend over. <laughs> That's so true. The other day I saw $2 on the ground and I was like, not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> At my age. Like, with hey, my flexibility. One of these kids, yeah. I'm throwing my back out. It'd be $35 or more at the chiropractor if I do that. Yeah, 35 know. man. What chiropractor you go to? I know. Exactly. Uh, Dan, we are going to jump into this episode. Uh, today, we are actually talking about something that I find uh, to be very interesting. Everybody's kind of, this has kind of been the water cooler talk. And I thought maybe just the water cooler talk for pastors or guys like us. But this week, we found out a lot of people in our church are actually asking us about an article that Kevin DeYoung wrote, really as a critique of Moscow, Idaho and Doug Wilson. So for people who are not aware, we just want to give you some basic details to catch you up. And then in the episode, we'll start to unpack some of the things that Kevin says, as well as um, our responses. So people were asking us, like, what, 
what should we think about this article? Um, do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? Um, how should we read it? And so pastorally, we we wanted to respond, uh, hopefully in a way that's helpful. Yeah, honestly, when the article was published, I had multiple people come to me and say, have you read the article? You know, what do you think about it? And I'm like, I saw it was published. I don't didn't prioritize it. But since so many people asked about it. Yeah. I've done the homework. Yeah. And I did talk to the other pastors as well. Um, and uh, pr- pretty much everybody had heard uh, and was asking uh, for pastoral input. What do you think about this article? I also think this is a really helpful point because a lot of people will say, why are you guys, your pastors? Why are you, why are you involved in Twitter? Why are you involved in X? Why are you involved in what's going on on social media? And I think it is really important because this is sort of the Agora. This is the marketplace of ideas in today's world. It impacts our people. Mm-hmm. And so we want to, um, you know, lead as best we can pastorally through these situations. So just like at the dinner table, if your kid comes home and he said, hey, I read this article, what do you think about it? I'm generally going to respond. That means I have to go read the article, which was actually how this one happened. I yeah. hadn't read it until uh, I heard from others like, hey, did you see that? So just on that front, yeah, yeah. agree, disagree, like, yeah. should because uh, a lot of people I've, I've seen a lot of people say pastors shouldn't be on Twitter or pastors shouldn't be involved in social media. Do you agree that that's the Agora? Yeah, yeah. Like it or not, it is because it is the marketplace of of ideas. Whether you participate in it or not, it is still forming culture. It is forming worldview. Yeah. It is forming the way people think about issues, about news topics, about theology even, Mm. as we'll see in this episode. How do you think through piety? How do you think through use of language? How do you think through mission and cultural engagement and things like that, whether you participate in it or not, it is actually forming culture around you. So you can either be ignorant of it, which is uh, some people should not be on social media and that's fine. I'm not very active on social media, but it is forming culture. That's just a fact. And so why would you not want your pastor involved in the formation of culture and of people and of ideas? It seems like that's a a question you should have to answer. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. Uh, so the article by Kevin DeYoung was titled on culture war, Doug Wilson and the Moscow mood. And it appeared on clearly reformed, which is Kevin's it's clear, web. clearly reformed. Yeah. Clearly reformed. It's clear. Yeah, it's clear. And uh, this is where Kevin started blogging. I believe in March, 2022, he left the gospel coalition, mm-hmm. uh, had been blogging there. Didn't say much about his exit, uh, but did say that he would be at clearly reformed. I believe it's clearly reformed.org. Uh, where you can find that article or just go on Twitter and it's pretty much uh, in any of our feeds. It is worth noting as well that Kevin is still on the council at the Gospel Coalition, though he is no longer blogging there. Uh, His old blog post as well remain up at TGC. The article is essentially, as I said, a critique of Doug Wilson and his brand of cultural engagement. This is really uh, Kevin DeYoung is part of, he's probably the middle right of Young, Restless, and Reformed. He was involved in the Gospel Coalition. Obviously, he was a council member there, which on Piper, Tim Keller, other people. He's probably more of the conservative complementarian. He's a Presbyterian PCA guy. He is more conservative, but keep in mind, he's still part of kind of that middle movement. And so I think what you're seeing with Doug um, in this engagement here is that a lot of those guys for a long time have been very uncomfortable with the tone, the sharpness of uh, cultural engagement from Doug. Now, Doug did, in fairness, respond on Twitter initially, uh, or X, if you will, by saying that DeYoung's article was thoughtful and respectable as a critique, 
And he encouraged his people to meet it with reasonable response, um, especially people who consider themselves in Doug's corner. Justin Taylor, uh, some of you may not be familiar between two worlds. He is one of the, uh, I guess, chieftains of publishing over at Crossway. He's been there for a long time, close with John Piper as well for many, many years. And um, he was pretty outspoken in critiquing Doug, criticizing Doug uh, for use of language. Um, We'll get into that as well. That's sort of the general lay of the land. And I guess I'll add this. um, Doug Wilson. I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with Doug. But if you're not, Doug is a pastor of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. He's written on the blog and May blog for many years. And uh, Doug's rhetoric is definitely, uh, especially for kind of like, if you're a middle white call, middle kind of middle conservative, white collar PCA OPC guy, you would say Doug's language is spicy. Yeah. If you're a blue collar American, I don't think you would actually think it's that spicy. Right. But it kind of depends where you're coming from. So in respectable reformed camps, particularly if those camps are tied to academia, they're and clearly and they're white collar clearly reformed camps. The yeah. clearly reformed camps. Yes, that's right. Um, they would call this language spicy. So I want to dive into it. I guess my question for you, first of all, overall reaction, I'm not saying knee jerk because we've had time to think about it, but kind of what is your overall take for people who are like, okay, you know, I know you're going to get into detail like dislike uh, general response to Kevin's article. Yeah, I can recall my knee jerk reaction since I read it yesterday. And there had been so much noise around the article mm-hmm. and it had been built up and I'd been asked about it. And so I was expecting something. Yeah. It's kind of like when you go to a movie and, and someone's like, this movie is amazing. It's great. Your expectations are high and often you'll be disappointed. As was the case with me. I read the article and at the end I left feeling like, um, where was the substance? Yeah. Where was the substance of this article? And the thing is, you and I both have read a lot of critiques of Doug Wilson. Believe it or not, some people don't care for Doug Wilson. And um, I have my own thoughts uh, about Doug and I respect him. I think, you know, we have, uh, he's made a big influence on my life, on even the pastoring of our church, you know, so I, I also have my own critiques. And I think there are actual critiques that Kevin DeYoung could have landed But I don't think he did that in the article. I I left uh, thinking that in his criticism of the mood of Moscow, he used an equally emotional argument to try to counteract it. And so it was um, it left me feeling like there wasn't a lot to critique since it was without substance. Yeah. Uh, When I first saw it before I had read it, I first saw the article. I, I saw that it was from Kevin DeYoung. I've tracked him for a long, long time. And yes, I recognize he's more conservative, but always been associated with the gospel coalition. He left. He has never said boo uh, about them. And so I was like, yeah, I'm sure this article will be garbage, but I'll give it a read. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've read it and I've had a few days to think about it now. And um, I I think my my initial impression, like, I think this is going to be garbage, kind of changed into, no, this is actually a dumpster fire. And then I started thinking about as, as more and we'll get into this as more and more has come out and, and you start to see things for what they are. I actually became angry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as Brian says, we want to we want to have a, a tight leash on our anger and have a tight leash on our fuse. And we want to turn it to being you know productive, doing righteous things. Yeah. Not just being, you know, unrighteously angry. 
Um, but but when you actually start to look at, you know, for example, as we'll get into um, the ways in which Justin Taylor and Kevin DeYoung are like, I just don't like your potty talk. And I'm like, you know, Kevin, I don't like the fact that you have sat by and approved of the Gospel Coalition, which has run articles like the Gospel According to Taylor Swift to describe this is Trevin Wax to describe the ways in which Taylor Swift's breakups are like the gospel that they would run that. And Kevin stands by on the sidelines and now he's like, Oh Doug, I don't like your tone. I don't like your words. So that's kind of where I was at with the article. Like you got, this is a joke. Mm-hmm. The gospel coalition has been a joke for a long time. The same people kind of like we talk about with GK. Well, no, no, it's a CS Lewis, right? Where he says they're running around with fire extinguishers when there's a flood. Mm-hmm. Like they're out here tone policing while the culture is burning down and people want to cut your kid's genitalia off. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, Doug used a little bit of a harsh word and you know, the culture is not going to find us very winsome for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are kind of my initial thoughts on the article. Um, as you said, I do want to jump into some of the specific arguments. Sure. Fundamentally, the, the, the article starts well, I guess I'll get the compliments out of the way. Uh, Kevin is somewhat fair in saying that uh, he appreciates how Doug is willing to take unpopular opinions. So I think that is helpful. He says he offers the world and the church an angular, muscular, forthright Christianity in an age of compromise and defection. On top of that, Wilson has a family that loves him and loves Christ. I think that's true. Yeah. It's one of the main reasons we respect Doug. Um, and and so I I find that fair. That's pretty much... The, the, the compliments for Doug are pretty short. And then we kind of get into the negatives. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll go through some of these. Uh, one of the things I found interesting, he started by saying he, he sees the attraction to Moscow as primarily visceral more than intellectual or theological. People are attracted to the cultural aesthetic. I'm quoting now the cultural aesthetic and the political posture that Wilson so skillfully embodies End quote. Kevin uses business terminology here to say that Christian nationalism and post-millennialism are lag measures, not lead measures, meaning like they're just kind of a byproduct. This Mm -hmm. is what comes after. What's really driving it, he says, is a cultural aesthetic and a political posture. I guess just to start with this one, fair critique, uh, correct. Do you think that, like, is Kevin right about this? I mean, there is an element of it that is correct, but it's not the only reason why people would be attracted to Moscow. One of the biggest attractions that he, uh, that Kevin kind of throws a bone at is the institutions that they've built. Mm -hmm. He he mentions like, uh, you know, classical uh, Christian education as one of the things. What people don't understand, and that's the same reason that people are attracted to Ogden is that there is a cultural aesthetic and a, a political posture, if you will, that yeah. is coming out of different cultures. I mean, this, this is true, but it's not grounded in nothing. But people don't move somewhere like Moscow because there's some fancy political theory or because there is some pie in the sky, post mill, you know, cornucopia of, of health, wealth and prosperity. And, and so they're, they're going to go there. No, people don't work that way. People don't work that way. It's actually because it's grounded in something real. The message is coming out of something that's actually been built institutions and there's fruit there and you can see evidence. People aren't stupid. 
Well, I think a lot of it, if you, you follow some of the things Kevin also says in the article, um, he'll say things like, you know, Doug is naughty. He refers to him as like this naughty posture. Um, he says Wilson's approach depends on a fundamentally oppositional frame framework. If you've ever read Tim Keller, by the way, in his manifesto, Doug is the anti Tim Keller, right? He, he is continually confronting the culture. He is doing it on, on grounds of that we would have, or that Keller would have called like fundamentalism. So it's like sexuality. These are all the things in Keller's latest manifesto. He's like, we need to get away from that. Tim Keller says in there, and I've quoted it a bunch on Twitter, but he says in his manifesto, Christians need to learn how to talk to the world in a way that most unbelievers would find non-offensive. And here you have, okay, so Keller, Gospel Coalition, he forever was partnered with Kevin DeYoung. It's not all that surprising that Kevin is saying this, mm -hmm. um, but you can also understand why they're, you know, they have a gag reflex to Doug Wilson because Wilson is like, it's pretty in your face. Mm -hmm. Like, these are the issues. Here's what's wrong. And he's going to confront them uh, pretty directly. I, I think where Kevin is wrong here is I don't think he truly understands the level of intellectual theological horsepower that most of the people actually are attracted. So I was thinking this the other night. We were gathered with just some blue-collar people in our church. In fact, I'm, I'm doing the math. They're all blue collar people that I was talking with. And they're like asking me in-depth questions about post-mill theology, about uh, pedo-baptism, um, about any number of theological political issues. And I was sitting there thinking like, wow, I need to make sure I do the reading and keep up with the reading because these guys are like welders and plumbers and they are giving me a run for my money. Yeah, yeah. It's, like I did the reading seven years ago, but I haven't read something. In I got to yeah. come back <laughs> to this. So, so I think to me, this kind of feels like a pot shot being like, well, it's not intellectual. It's just visceral. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just cultural aesthetic. I don't, I don't think it actually has to be either or yeah. I think it's both things. It's also, I think it's a, a fundamental miss at what drives humanity, what drives, especially men and men are one, they're attracted to courage. Right. They're attracted to courage. So Great that point. is a cultural aesthetic in a way. Courage right? is courage is. Well, this goes back to the William Wallace. Men don't follow titles. They follow courage. Right. So he is right in the sense that like. They're looking at Doug and saying courage. Yeah, there's courage. There's also another thing that is actually a tie, I think, between the visceral and the intellectual. And that is having a vision for the future. Mm having a vision for the future because a positive one, a positive vision for the future. And you're actually doing something about it. This is mm. back to the institutions. They're actually, and this is, this is why I think Kevin DeYoung's article is actually damaging is because it, in a, in a way you have an armchair quarterback who is not actively telling people to build things, but instead are being school marms and slapping wrists with rulers because of naughty talk. Does this and, feel a little bit like Gashmew? Yeah, like yes. Nehemiah and Doug, and we're, we're like an adjacent, somehow adjacent community, um, as you said, in Ogden, but we're building and we are like, you're in the trench, blood, sweat, and tears, counseling, preaching, teaching, casting vision, helping men get their lives in order, helping uh, families get their lives in order, helping with financial, like all the bloody hard hand of the plow work. And then you have Gashmu who's like, well, it's a little crap. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, 
Sambalot or Gashmu uh, in the most passive TGC way possible because they're he's not, not directly direct. saying you shouldn't go there because it, they're actually building hell or it's a cult or whatever it is. It's a small uh, erosion of credibility. It's an undermining of the walls that they're building. It's just a it's a very passive way to go about this is, hey, this guy shouldn't be talking this way. You shouldn't actually listen to him. He's removing credibility from Doug is the is the approach because of some, I think, very bad arguments. Now, I will say, I think we'll get into that. But with the crass language, I think there is probably some room for debate, but I don't think this was the appropriate format for it. Yeah. So let's uh, talk about this. He's mainly, I think this is actually one of the central arguments that Kevin is making. Yeah. Is that uh, Doug is using coarse language, harsh language. I would say this to begin with. I don't actually agree with all of Doug's usages of coarse language. I'm also not going to armchair quarterback him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doug has defended, I think, his, his position on that. I do think that the Dolores Umbridge school marm wing of PCA world and many other reform camps that are like, again, the fire extinguishers in a flood, like they're trying to burn the culture down and you, and, and you're the guy out there who is complaining because you, you said it too hard. I, I tend to think if you read scripture and some of the things that God himself says, you know, even, even the language of Jesus uh, saying to Herod's people, you go tell that fox. The word for fox there is something equivalent to a female dog in our language. Uh, Jesus himself seems to use pretty harsh language. Seems a lot of times to use even what we would call ad hominem responses, rhetorical responses to people. The Pharisees come to him and they say, we want to engage you about a question theologically. And Jesus says, you whitewash tombs. Your father is the devil. You are serpents. That That seems like language is kind of Kind of harsh. And and yet, even with all that, I wouldn't necessarily agree with every single thing that Doug has said. Um, and some of the, you can read the article. We're not going to repeat, I think, a lot of the words. I don't want to, but I, I don't agree with all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it is actually somewhat crass. Yeah. So I said there's no substance to the article. Uh, that's probably a little bit of a caricature. I will say that there are some things in there where I'm like, I, I would not want to defend having used that word. Yeah. I'm not comfortable using certain words that Doug has used. Yeah. What's interesting is who's deciding what the line is, because even Doug responds to uh, Justin, what's his face's um, crossway guy, his tweet. He repeats a lo- and Kevin DeYoung does as well. He, he lists all of the words that Doug uses With asterisks and puts asterisks in the vowel spot. And, and so Doug says something funny about about apparently it's it's not um, it's not fin- sinful to use asterisks in these words, but it is if you don't. So, well, what what I find so interesting is Kevin is clearly frustrated about the use of language, mm-hmm. right? D- Doug has used potty talk basically is what this amounts to. Michael Foster uh, at, at this is Foster on social media. Michael has been one of the early people, kind of burning down the TGC house for a long time. Um, so Michael, uh, I think this is today, Wednesday, November 29th, when we're recording, but Michael posted this. He says, Hey, do you guys remember the time TGC's Brett McCracken recommended edifying films? So the article screenshot is seven edifying films to watch this fall. Michael says those films include the covenant. And just so you're aware, the covenant has 46 uses of the F word. 
14 uses of the S word, two uses of term for donkey, I guess, one use of, and then it gets into others that are um, actual blasphemy. According I, don't think, to I don't think the word was meant for donkey, though. No, <laughs> no, uh, I'm not going to say all of them. But the point being, like, they have actual, like, blasphemous language, um, 46 uses of the F word. And then Michael says, he says, do you guys remember? Pepperidge Farm remembers. And he said, I also wonder if Justin Taylor and Kevin DeYoung know about this one. Of course they know about this one. It's from September 14th, 2023. Um, it's, it's very interesting to me, Dan, because it feels like a double standard. And there's a lot more of these, by the way, that, um, you know, we could point to examples at TGC. I, I guess the question is, do you think Kevin is being fair in going after the language? You mentioned a talk, I think it desiring God with Paul Tripp with Paul Tripp. Yeah. It was an interesting video that somebody had posted as a response to Justin Taylor and it was, um, Paul Tripp and he's using, uh, some, some language that we would, uh, Kevin DeYoung would take issue with. We'll just say that. And he, it's instructing, he's instructing his children on how to use language and how to use tone. But the thing is, you know, Mark Driscoll actually did the same thing. Uh, and, they love to attack Mark Driscoll. Now I'm not going to defend Mark Driscoll uh, on this real podcast, problems. but yeah, there's <laughs> real problems. Um, but yeah, even desiring God has, has used uh, videos that have somewhat crass language here. Here's the thing. There's, there's something I wanted to talk about. Yeah. So one of the things that I think certain personalities, certain, certain people uh, in different camps of Christianity will see is that automatically they're uncomfortable with a guy like Doug Wilson or maybe Eric Kahn even. What? That there are people. Believe, I find that hard I, to believe. I know. I know uh, that are uncomfortable with those, you know, sorts of personalities. And I, I mean, some of it is difficult for them to put their finger on. But ultimately, when they read an article like this from Kevin DeYoung, they're like, oh, those guys are actually divisive. That's the problem. That's why I feel uncomfortable with them is because they're actually being divisive. What's ironic and hard to see is that Kevin DeYoung is doing the same thing. A lot of times when you read uh, an Eric Kahn tweet or listen to a podcast or a Doug Wilson tweet or book or something like that, you are actually seeing, not in, in 100% of cases, but often what you'll see is a bad word uh, attributed to a bad thing. And it has to obviously match the elevation of the the crassness or not crassness, but the severity of the word has to match the severity of the sin that's being pointed out. Uh, and God does this in Ezekiel, where he's talking about Israel and how they lust after these foreign gods, like, uh, you know, after a horse's member. You know, and it's very, it's very crude. It makes me uncomfortable. It really does. I read it. Like, Wow, God really said that. Here's the thing. If Kevin DeYoung applies that same standard towards God, I don't think God passes the Kevin DeYoung test. And so you actually have division happening within the camp. The problem is you get guys that are seen as the reasonable, nice guy, the winsome guy, the guy that's, hey, we're, you know, let's be at peace, like settle down, buddy. Let's not fight. In the beginning of the article, he even talks about the medieval, um, like barbarian kings and Christianity and, and uh, Christian the Crusades heroes and Christian heroes, Yeah. Things like <laughs> that. So, uh, which we will be talking about in King's hall season three. And 
attributing that to like, maybe that's part of a motivation for this. The thing is, is there's actually division happening there as well with Kevin DeYoung by punching those who are actually trying to do the work. And the thing is, you get a guy like Doug Wilson who has written many, many books. Mm. He's written millions of words. He's said many, many words. The thing is, you could probably find somewhere in this podcast alone where I've said something that's like, man, that probably wasn't accurate. You know, people just will fall short. They will misuse language and things like that. So um, I think one of the things that is at play here is you guys have a guy who's actually trying to cause division by discouraging people to the right who are doing something, who are building something, who are fighting something. There is division happening here, but it's not where you might think. Yeah, it's interesting, Dan. I agree with you. Uh, one of the things that you brought up, um, and maybe you read it somewhere, I don't know, mm. um, but, but a quote from G.K. Chesterton uh, as we were preparing for this episode, talking about this. Chesterton said, nine times out of 10, it is the coarse word that condemns an evil and the refined word that excuses it. I, I just want, you know, you shared that with me. I want to get your thoughts on it. It is so interesting. Because again, going back to TGC, um, they've run articles uh, from Sam Albury and others who've supported same-sex attraction, i.e. homosexual lust, um, saying that uh, Sam Albury, for, for a long time, for those who aren't aware, said he was a gay Anglican priest. I'm not sure he's quite that outspoken about it anymore, but he, um, he's functionally, he's the same, you know, it's the same position. So they've supported things like same-sex attraction, which is heinous and unbiblical, led to things like revoice. Um, they were paramount in promoting those guys early on when no one else would. Um, so I look at that and I think, oh, but they have such nice words for Taylor Swift. Isn't that nice? Yeah. And oh, but the course words. And then w when it comes down to it, somebody like Doug, somebody like, you know, when Brian gets in trouble, when I get in trouble, it's usually for speaking hard, plain words to real sin. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about, I was explaining this to somebody the other day, they were like, yeah, that was, seemed like a little much when you, you said that women who sleep around are like used hotel mattresses. And I said, yeah, it seems a little much when the Lord says you go to the head of every street corner and spread your legs and all your righteous deeds are like filthy menstrual rags. And you are like those who long for the members of a donkey and the emissions of a donkey. It, it seems a bit much, doesn't it? That's gross. It's disgusting. And that's actually mm. the point. I think what's so often missed, I think, do you think Elijah, you know, do you think Elijah today or John the Baptist today, do you think people would have said, oh, you're just being a shock jock? Mm -hmm. You're just, so, yes, you're just a master of hot takes. Do you yeah. think that's true? Yeah, I think that's true. So one of the criticisms that you'll often get for people that use um, hard truths to, to reveal either good or evil, they'll uh, you know, praising the good, and this, this is the right use of language, is um, using the right word to describe truth. So when God says you are at the, at the, you know, in the streets spreading your legs, and the thing is most prostitutes charge, but you do it for free. Yeah. Um, that's because God is using language rightly. He is using it rightly to describe something that is, uh, that is disgusting. Yeah, it's horrible. Uh, it's an affront against God and created order and against image bearers. It is absolutely disgusting and horrible. And so that is an appropriate and righteous. That's the, that's the thing I think people miss. It's actually righteous that God described that act. And, uh, you know, you get, you get people that are like, well, that's God. You're not God. So you can't use that language. Uh, 
I, I, I mean, I'm not God, so I don't differ with that, but we're supposed to emulate Christ, like you said, and God displays his righteousness through his law. We're supposed to emulate that, his righteousness. One of the things that you'll be accused of, and that was brought up in the article, and the thing is, I, I don't know a lot of the situations that he was referencing with Doug. Uh, I haven't done my homework, but he, he, he uh, Kevin DeYoung accuses Doug of constantly using the Mott and Bailey fallacy. Today's episode is sponsored by Premier Body Armor, your top choice for safeguarding your family. What sets them apart? Well, Premier isn't here to convince you to wear a plate carrier around town. Nope. They're focused on innovating armor right into your normal everyday life. Think bulletproof laptop case or lightweight armor insert that fits into your favorite bag and stops most handgun, shotgun, and even rifle ammunition. Unlike much of the tactical industry, choosing Premier Body Armor not only ensures that you're getting amazing armor, but you'll be doing business with a family-owned Christian company. Visit PremierBodyArmor.com today and use promo code KINGSHALL for 10% off your order today. Got questions? Reach out to customer service or send their president an email directly at alex at PremierBodyArmor.com and you can speak to him yourself. Don't wait to invest your family's security, but reach out today to Premier Body Armor. Don't carry a bag? No worries. How about a moisture-wicking athletic t-shirt with minimalist and lightweight soft armor panels built in? Check the link in the show notes or visit premierbodyarmor.com today. Our sponsor, Private Family Banking Partners, is on a mission to help Christians live out the Dominion Mandate by making a stealth-like move away from the mainstream banks and into their own privatized banking system. This innovative system is designed to guarantee uninterrupted compound interest and tax-free growth without exposure to typical stock market risks. To join this growing community that is already building wealth into future generations and converting post-mill talk into post-mill action, contact Private Family Banking Partner Chuck De Laderante at his email, chuck at privatefamilybanking.com. Again, that's chuck at privatefamilybanking.com. To set up an appointment and to receive a free copy of Chuck's new book, Protect Your Money Now, How to Build Multi-Generational Wealth Outside of Wall Street, and avoid the coming banking meltdown, go to the link in the show notes for more information. So it's an old castle structure. You actually had, and I could have this backwards. I don't have my computer pulled up right now, but I believe the the Bailey was a mildly defended, if not undefended part of the town that was uh, more comfortable to live in. And then you had the Mott, which was the highly defended, essentially like a walled tower sort of position to where it's very defensible. You cannot penetrate this thing. I think I have that right. The Bailey was the comfortable part of town that was not defended. And the Mott was the highly defended position, the keep, if you will. And so this fallacy essentially is, uh, I've, I've heard it described like uh, Black Lives Matter. So the movement, you have the Bailey, which is the very difficult to defend position where they're talking about you know, we're for transgender lives, uh, the de- anti-nuclear family, anti-nuclear family, you know, um, encouraging black women to not be under the authority of black men and uh, dis- dismantling the patriarch patriarchy, things like that. Very difficult to defend positions. And when they're attacked, they retreat into the mott, which is black lives matter. That's what we're saying is black lives matter. 
They don't even attempt to defend their position. They're just saying, but all we're saying is black lives matter. That's what we mean. That's the Mott and Bailey. And so you'll see uh, Eric and I were discussing this beforehand. You'll see this often with clickbait. So because we're both hunters and we like shooting, you'll see something like the 30. uh, No one should ever shoot the 30 odd six, the worst round ever. And then you watch a video or read the article and they're like, the 30 odd six is a very versatile round. It's been around since 1906 and has been used by the military and blah, blah, blah. And has a lot of great applications for today. But with modern loads, you know, there's no reason that you really need to shoot. So you're not saying nobody should shoot the 30 odd six or that it's it's irrelevant anymore. When I was a digital editor. Yeah, we we actually ran a story called why we hate the 308. Okay, And the article was like I didn't write it, but the article was basically like. We hate it because it's so good. And here are the seven reasons why it's so good. And I remember being like, okay, well, yeah, they, so the whole point, correct me if I'm wrong, of like yeah. a Mott and Bailey is it grabs your attention. That's what clickbait does. But in a way it lets you down because you're, you're, you're retreating. Yeah. Because you can't actually defend that position. Yeah. You can't defend it. And so, like I said, I, I did not, I have not examined every single one of Doug Wilson's, you know, arguments to see if it's a Mott and Bailey fallacy. Uh, my instincts would say it's probably not. Some of them could be. I mean, it's a very effective rhetorical tool. Um, and it, it, it's actually an informal fallacy, by the way. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. Uh, and so some people have accused Eric Kahn, this guy I saw on the Twitter. No. He had posted something about adoption. And essentially, if you look at the argument, if you break down the the argument into bullet points, you have um, where he said that you do not have a moral obligation to adopt. There is no law to adopt. That's what you're saying. Yep. There's no moral law that you must adopt and that uh, it comes down to a wisdom issue. In fact, you said, in fact, it could be unwise and detrimental. Those are the arguments that you're making. And so people would say, oh, that's that's the Bailey. That's the Bailey, right? There. That's an extreme position. And then when you go and do a podcast, you, you you retreat into the, the Mott where it's like, Oh, this is no, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean, no, that's actually not true. This was not a Mott Bailey fallacy because our explanation or expansion of the tweet revealed why the arguments were true. Whereas in a black lives matter, when they say you're trying to dismantle the nuclear family and they're saying, no, well, hold on. We're just saying black lives matter. They, you're they not did using the actually bait. retreated from their position. They did. They did retreat from the position. And we're saying, no, we're providing explanation. I am for why I would still to this day defend everything I said in the original tweet. I think the other thing that's interesting, like in the adoption one, I got accused of a Mott and Bailey. It was usually because somebody was, they would say, well, you're saying this. And it was like a complete misreading. Yeah. Well, you're right. saying adopted children aren't really your own. And I was like, I am not saying that. And when I would defend that, they're like, aha, Mott and Bailey. Yeah. And you're like, well, no, because that wasn't part of my original argument at all. Mm -hmm. So that is really helpful. Well, I think the whole article is, is trying to paint Moscow as that. If the only reason that people are attracted to Moscow is because of an, a, a cultural aesthetic and a political, what did he say? A political um, well, it's a political position of opposition. Yeah. And that Oppos- fundamentally oppositional framework. Is what yeah. He says. And that's, that's the reason that, but he calls it, and this is kind of the thing that's tied to it. It's all about what he calls the Moscow mood, mm-hmm. right? Which is actually hard to defend or attack because it seems pretty ethereal. It is ethereal. I'm really, cons- 
this is to me, this is like this is why I would call Kevin DeYoung's piece sort of a concerned bro piece, mm. meaning like, you know, I'm just really concerned with the mood here going on and the mood just feels off, guys. And I'm like, this is what this is a very light version of what Rod Dreher and David French have been doing for years. Mm. I was just curious if you could speak to a minute on Christian unity. I, I know we talked about it just a minute ago, but some people are really concerned that harsh words are causing disunity. And um, that it hurts Christians. I know even in the article, Kevin DeYoung brings up that uh, at one point in one of the No Quarter November videos that Doug records, uh, he uh, takes a swig of bourbon and a <laughs> puff of his cigar and says something about for the teetotalers or some, something like that. Um, I was just curious if you, if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, I do. And I think one of the, one of the things Kevin also says, uh, and I'm quoting, but this is particularly about no quarter November. Yeah. He says no quarter November strikes a tone that is deliberately sarcastic and just a little bit naughty. It takes, <laughs> I can't believe I just had to read that on the Hardman podcast. It takes cheap shots at other Christians. It's about culture warring and building. Okay. End quote. I would go back to something that I said. Um, this was like the beginning of any public platform for myself. This is like pre Twitter. So pre 2020, I had, a Twitter handle. And the only thing I ever tweeted was about Broncos games. Mm -hmm. And I was complaining because Peyton Manning wasn't winning enough. And now I feel ashamed. So I would like to actually recant. Did you, did you delete those tweets? I did. Because oh, I, I look back and we've had eight years of losing until recently. And I was like, you know what? I was foolish. We had it so good. Anyway, so go back to that era. I wrote an article that I published on ericcon.com. And this was kind of what got everything started. I said in the article, the evangelical world, the time at seminary that I went to, it seems like we are raising pastors who are effeminate and soft. And they're like antithetical to blue collar working men. This was like, you know, hard men in a world of softness. This is where the idea came from, from a single post. And uh, Toby Sumter shared it originally, and it had something like 400,000 page views in a, in a week. It was crazy. Wow. I go back to that with, with actually Kevin. These guys have no sense of humor. Doug in No Quarter November. First of all, No Quarter November is funny. Doug is trying to be jovial and light in many ways. And if you can't take a joke as a man, well, number one, that's effeminate and soft. Like we talk about this all the time in manly context. Um, some of the things that get said... Um, that are just like ribbing, good manly ribbing to each other. Like, I'm not sure that shirt fits you anymore. <laughs> or, you know, the real hero here is that button. I mean, we love each other. We work together. We love each other. But, we, but we, one, of the, one of the functions of men in a group together, when they make fun of each other, is to toughen the soft underbelly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're continually doing this sort of thing. And so um, I think when you're like, oh, there's... Like basically Kevin is saying there's no place for sarcasm and gosh, I'm going to read it again. A little bit of naughtiness. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the quintessence of what I'm saying from the beginning and why the Hardman podcast exists is because evangelicals are soft, largely neutered, effeminate guys. And it's this white collar world where it's like, you know, later in the article, he's like, he, you know, he used the word wuss. I'm like, okay, well, here's the deal. Chris Wiley pointed this out, by the way. Great follow. 
but Chris pointed this out. He said, if, if you look at the, this whole debate going on with Kevin and Doug, he said, it strikes me as it's, it's inherently anti-blue collar because you go to any construction site, you go to any, any blue collar field, you, you go w- work with our people and we spend a lot of time with them. And I've been blue collar for many seasons in my life. And I look at that and I think, do you think the average blue collar worker in America, including Christians, would be hyper offended if you called somebody a wuss? I think you'd be mocked because that's actually not extreme enough for most blue collar people. Yes. Well, and if you took offense <laughs> to the word wuss, you yeah. would be mocked for that. Yes. So it, it, the other thing I would say about language here, it, it's really interesting. Like Kevin is concerned that Doug took cheap shots at G3 and at uh, the ERLC. Those are the two he mentions by name in the article. Well, let's ask ourselves the question. Who's actually being divisive? Is Doug being divisive by calling G3 out? Or is G3 being divisive by consistently, ongoingly, unrepentantly lying about people, including myself? I mean, what is actually divisive, biblically speaking? And this is what goes back to Chesterton. Like, you're upset because I called somebody out for lying and bearing false witness, and you're not upset at the people bearing false witness. Again, to quote Chesterton, it's the course word that will be condemned, even though it's addressing evil. Yes. It, and just saying harshly, like, I, I guess this is harsh in our culture. You're lying and bearing false witness. You shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say one thing, though. Um, Lest people think that we're, you know, just apologists for Doug. I find Doug in the May blog and blog at times very helpful. But when the heat of conflict is upon us, Doug can be overly verbose and difficult to understand. And that is incredibly unhelpful in like heated situations. I often get lost in his arguments. I think that he will use, um, you know, biting words at the wrong time. It, and, and there can be a problem with being overly playful when you actually should like be really clear and serious. Yeah. Like, Hey, no, let's get this out of the way. Like I think this about this camp cause people need to know. And um, so I, I'm not defending every blog and may blog. I find many of them unhelpful. I'll just be hundred frustrating honest. and frustrating. I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest. And I've, I've, I've both enjoyed Doug and his work and appreciated Um, so much of the content while continuing to think that the other thing though, I think that's not fair about this. No quarter November is one month out of the year. 99% of Doug's ministry, like what we would say for ours, 99% of our ministry is doing reform theology and talking about households and family and boring Westminsterian Christianity. It's not mostly polemical. But and then they're acting yeah. like that's all Doug does. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's easy to to armchair quarterback and then say, why he says in the article, Kevin DeYoung does, he says, why don't they take one month of the year and use teach reformed theology? They do why that don't do, all the time. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I think they fail to understand that this isn't a ministry of a church. Canon Press is not a ministry of a church. No, no quarter of November is part of a business. It is marketing. I mean, and people want to sell books. Like that's the but they it doesn't negate the arguments that they're making or the things that they're teaching. One of the th- frustrations that I, I, I do frequently have with Doug and it is a little rich on the sarcasm. Kevin DeYoung actually uses a turn of phrase. He's like, I, he loves uh, PG Woodhouse 
And PG Woodhouse has a way with words where it's um, like he flips you around on a trapeze and can stick the landing. And I think quite often what you find with Doug is that he attempts to do the same thing, but but cannot stick the landing. And you know what? This is this is fair. One of the things uh, Kevin says, he says, Wilson has frequently compared the PCA study committee, for example, to a stacked blonde in a tight dress as stacked as Dolly Parton after her new implants. So these are ones where it's like, mm, okay, we're all going to have a little bit different meters about what's acceptable. I would not say that. I wouldn't say it. And part of the reason I wouldn't say it is because I'm not entirely sure what he's saying. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I don't actually know, like they all got implants. I don't know what exactly. Now, <laughs> all that to say, I'm, the, I'm, I'm not going to come out and criticize Doug um, for something like that when it's like, well, what's... Okay, let's let's put it in perspective. Yeah, the words could have been different. There, what about PCA study committees? What about PCA and revoice? Like what what is a you, that's what you have to ask yourself in wisdom. What's a bigger issue? Is does Doug have a point here? Mm-hmm. I think he does have a point. He does have a point. And and we should not miss that. One of the other things is um sort of like if you read this article, Kevin will conclude with a more excellent way. Mm. What is the solution to Pray all tell. of this? Um, before we get to that, we'll close with that. Okay. Roughly, you know, <laughs> in, in an Eric Khan kind of way. Uh, but one of the questions I want to ask you, well, this is my theory. I think TGC is dying. I think they're hemorrhaging. I think the mainline evangelical churches are hemorrhaging. Tim Keller wrote a manifesto about how they were hemorrhaging. He has passed away. John Piper is old and out of the picture. The Young Restless and Reformed is, I think, the leadership, including Kevin. Let's give Kevin his due. He was a part of that leadership. You drove the bus off a cliff, man. They really did those things. And I think they're watching a movement grow. It's hard not to imagine there would be a little bit of envy. It's hard not to imagine that, that, like, okay, you're warning us against going to, you know, being a part of a... Moscow, I'm sure if they, if they've, Kevin listened to, you know, Brian's recent sermon series, I'm sure Kevin would be aghast. I'm sure there would be pearls that were being rent off someone's neck because there was so much clutching and (laughs) ripping the pearls. I think they would be upset with us too. To me, this feels like I'm watching something else grow that I don't approve of. I'm watching my thing die. And so I need to come out here and just warn people. Like, okay, well, a better thing might be, what are you building? I know what you built. I know what failed. I know what blew up in everybody's faces. I know what's been lying to Christians for many years now. It's the thing you built. Okay, so that's my read on the situation. Too harsh, crazy. No, 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 no. This is what makes, this is why I keep bringing it up. The the people that are, that are concerned about Christian unity make my skin crawl. You've been dividing Christianity for decades. Because here's the thing. If Kevin DeYoung really wanted to actually help, if he wanted to be helpful, he would not do the concerned bro article, the erosion, the sandblot, you know, the gash, gashmu um, play. What he would do is he would come alongside and he would say, hey, I see this movement growing. I think it's great because of the, the reasons that he said. He, he gave some reasons why he thinks that it's good and let's go at this together. Let's figure out a way that we can grow this 
in a healthy direction. But the, I think this is so foreign to this sort of crowd, to this TGC, this big Eva crowd, because the idea of a positive vision is so foreign, I, I think it makes them uncomfortable. Instead, they know how to critique. They know how to um, critique and punch right. They also know how to do theology. They know to, how to do things in the ether. They know how to do all of the academia. But when it comes to actually building something, completely foreign. They it's did. completely foreign. Yeah, like I said, they built something and it's like falling apart. And, and it's been almost wholly culturally ineffective. Well, it's been, no, I think it has been effective in the movement left. Well, that's true. And, but I also, what I mean is like, if, if you're trying to Christianize the world, that's failed, but they have definitely worldized Christians. They've made Christians more worldly. Oh, okay. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. it's like now Christians have content where they're like, no, I think Kevin DeYoung is a respectable voice. And I think there really are seven things Christians can learn from the era's tour. But I will say this, he didn't publicly criticize the Gospel Coalition or anybody associated with it. Mm -hmm. He's criticizing Doug. It's interesting where he ends. He said, Wilson knows how to strike the tone of being wise, gracious, resolute, and winsome. And he basically says he needs to do more of this. Christians could be drawn to Wilson because he shows them more of Christ rather than of Christendom. That's an interesting... That one made me throw up in my mouth. I went and got a drink of water to clear the vomit from my mouth after reading that statement. Kevin has clearly that was hyperbole, by the way, Kevin. Oh, no, I take it fully as reality because <laughs> that's how I feel right now. <laughs> Kevin, I'm measuring my words. As Doug said to John Piper, when Piper was like, I'm really concerned. And Doug was like, well, just know that we're holding back. <laughs> And John said, that's why I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, we, we are holding back. But, but he has clearly read his fair share of Decolonize Your Bookshelf. Um, the idea, as we'll unpack in season three of the King's Hall, that Christ and Christendom are opposite terms. That makes me furious. I don't, I don't know what to say. Because it's not ignorance. It's, it has to be deceit. Yeah, there's more at play here. So that, okay, but then he says, but if Doug wants to show more of Christ than Christendom, he would have to dial it back, way back, and that is the sarcasm. I just find it funny, uh, by the way, the guy who has the clearly reformed website, um, I don't know if he's read John Knox, or you, maybe much of Martin Luther, for example. Well, th this is interesting. So we were talking about this article in, uh, at Family Worship. I was just kind of, you know, breezing through some of the points. I said to the boys, I said, what do you think? Um, they're reading Calvin and Luther. And he goes, well, the man's clearly never read Luther. And well, well I think he ha obviously has. But yes, I, I yes, think the he, issue he is, here's the real issue. So many people said this in response to Kevin DeYoung. Because Kevin was like, my presbytery would put, put Doug under charges, you know, for the things he said. And I said, well, to be fair, Kevin, I think you would put Martin Luther under charges. I think you would take issue with John Calvin. I think you would take issue with most of the Puritans. I th this, this whole game that keeps being played of we're, we're clearly, and I think what they're trying to say, we're, we're the truly reform, reform folks. And we're nice, and the church ladies like us, and we don't ruffle feathers, and we write about Taylor Swift. I, I just, to me, this is dis it's actually disgusting. Mm-hmm. And these, you know, Doug, you need to, you need to dial it back. 
I actually think there are times where Doug needs to dial it back too, but for completely different reasons. Yeah. For the sake of clarity. Clarity. Yeah. That's, that's usually cause I'm like, Doug, I don't know what you're saying. I actually don't know what these words mean. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's not because I think in being sarcastic, he's showing more of Christ than Christendom. I also think uh, as a consumer somewhat of the Canon plus app and a consumer of a lot of their content, 90 plus percent of that content is not sarcastic or sharp. Like today I was reading posts on future men from Doug. He's talking to me. It's like, just be a good father. And, but I think it's just because that the only thing they hear is the stuff that's getting the most attention. This is funny. So Kevin ends, he says, um, he could use the eighth decade of his life to devote his considerable writing talents to persuading unbelievers to consider Christianity. First of all, Doug has done a lot of that um, to passing on the reformed faith and to offering deep penetrating cultural analysis. I could, I believe he could do all of this if he wanted to, or he can continue to pepper his writing with naughty words, play with blowtorches, and make fun of Southern Baptists. That's the other option. So this is a, this is a false dilemma fallacy. That's the other option. It will be hard to take both approaches at the same time. Especially if you have the constitution of a Kevin DeYoung. Mm-hmm. Especially if you've been reared by Tim Keller. And, and being winsome is the key thing. It would be really hard to hear hard words. I would just encourage people if you're like, oh man, Eric, I don't know. Read Ann Douglas, The Feminization of the American Culture. She talks about how the church was the number one central thing that allowed for feminization of American culture. She's like a feminist, this lady. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about how the church, over time, they started getting more lady uh, people in leadership, more ladies in teaching roles, and eventually more ladies in the pastor pastorate. And she says what happened is the theology went out the window because apparently women, Paul said, are not supposed to be teaching and holding authority in the church. Apparently there was something to that doctrine goes out the window. And they said, basically what happened is all the men who got recruited for the pulpit were sissy boys. They, they were sickly. They stayed at home with mom and they had the sensibilities of women. Our pastorate today in America is largely full of men who have the sensibilities of women. This is what I mean when I say they're effeminate, they're soft, they're unmanly. This is like, the concern bro article, it's like, I mean, I'm just really concerned about the mood and I'm just really concerned about Doug's a little mean. Certainly. Why are you not concerned that TGC is running the crap they're running? Yeah, it is really concerning to me. I'll be concerned, bro, for a moment. Yeah, it's it, it doesn't I'm make concerned. sense to me that Kevin would <laughs> criticize uh, Doug for a lack of evangelism. Right. When it doesn't seem like these sorts of people take seriously what's at stake. People are dying. They're going to hell and churches are helping lead them there. That's what's at stake is eternal damnation. And it seems like they're really concerned about using a couple of naughty words about using uh, some cultural verbosity in order to fight this war. You realize people are being damned to hell and churches are helping. They're helping. And you, you're afraid of dividing that. I say to hell with it. That's what I say. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's shocking to me. I didn't see Kevin respond to this article that TGC ran and pulled on October 12th of 2023. People are going to hell. They're concerned supposedly with evangelism. 
And the article was titled seven things Christians can learn from Taylor Swift's Eras tour. Article still up on the gospel coalition website, not that one, but a different one, uh, which is Taylor Swift as well. January 5th, 2016 by Trevin wax. One of their kind of top guys, the gospel, according to Taylor Swift. I just want to know where you are, Kevin, on that. So, uh, Dan, I, I, I do want to wrap this up uh, so that it doesn't go on forever. Without ad hominem, there is something to, the, to like, credibility, right? Mm-hmm. Who would I take this warning well from? Like, we, we have to say there are times where we do have to hear warnings and criticisms. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the stuff in Kevin's article... Um, you should like, hold up, you know, you should, you should read and be like, okay, probably learn from that. Okay, great. But why does credibility matter? Right. Part of, I think what we're talking about is like, I don't really find somebody like Kevin DeYoung to be all that credible. I know people will disagree with that because they're like, but he published with Crossway, but he's a complimentarian, right? All those things. Part of what does it for me is which fights people will pick and which fights they will not pick. Mm-hmm. You know, fair criticism, but that's something to be aware of. I think for all of us with credibility, right, mm-hmm. is saying, okay, have I fought the right fights and should people listen to me? You know, for the most part, I think Doug is actually, you know, 2020, he's been in the middle of it. He stood his ground. I think that's why a lot of people actually are, you know, more trusting toward him. Do you buy the credibility argument? You look at somebody like Kevin and you're like, I, is that is that ad hominem or is it right to say, have you fought the right fights? No, no, that's that's a measure of wisdom. You have to be able to look at somebody and, and ask if they're courageous. Are they actually for me? Like that's a, that's important to know if you have somebody that you're in a relationship with and you're like, I don't think they're for me. I know they actively gossip about me and they give you advice. They don't have credibility. Don't listen to them. It's tied to this. To be clear, it's a crusade. Against the Turks. Right? <laughs> against the t- oh boy. Um, that's for season three of the King's Hall podcast. Yeah, it's just, it's just what we're starting. We're just right wetting now. your appetite. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that um, I've often reflected on is we, we want, there's a line, we want to believe the best about people. Mm-hmm. But one of the characters that I've often referenced is Jane from Pride and Prejudice. She's too trusting. She is too optimistic about other people's intentions. And it causes her pain and grief. And she almost destroys her life by marrying the wrong person, for example. And one of her tracks of repentance and pride and prejudice is that she has to be more grounded in reality. She has to have a more honest assessment of people. So one of the things Paul says is we should assess things rightly, not too high, not too low. Do you think there could be a problem just in general with when an enemy approaches And yeah, you have to make an assessment, enemy, ally, friend, all those things. I get it. But if people consistently show that they are against you, like they've literally never done a positive thing for you and they consistently like throw rocks at your house and try to, even if it's subtle, undermine the work you're doing. Do you think it's wise or is it like Jane to just be like, you know, fair, honest, reasonable guy? Because there's a line here, isn't there? Yeah. Sometimes we want to be ironic and be like, okay, let's, let's be ironic and let's tackle this. How do you distinguish that between like, mm, sometimes we also have to identify and name actual enemies 
I think it really does depend on the situation because there is something that, like you said, to credibility to where there is a time to mock. Like if somebody attacks you, there's a time to mock it. And then there is a time to be irenic. I think that's reasonable. Yes. When your enemy comes against you and uh, charges you with something, I mean, is it, is it something that you can gain credibility from by being irenic or is it something that you should actually be courageous and just go scorched earth? Depends on the situation, I think. Yeah. Which is hard. I, I was thinking, uh, even in the old Testament, uh, the enemy approaches the wall, this like Hezekiah and they're like insulting the people in the, in the Hebrew language. Yeah. And they're like, don't answer them. Just wait. Like, yeah, we'll respond. Right. Um, it also depends on the content of their argument. I think just a careful enough warning for people that it's like, yeah, read it and, and see a fair critique and some of the things, but you should read this pretty cautiously. And I'm not saying Kevin's an enemy. I am not saying that, but I am saying, no, you think about like culture war and field generals and all those things. I watch it, Kevin DeYoung and I say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. He's definitely done a lot of things that don't seem very courageous. Yeah. And so at best, would you want that guy in the shield wall next to you? No. Nope. As the Viking hordes attack? No. I would not. One of the things that I think is important to just get behind the, um, in, in, behind the veil of our minds to just see how we're actually thinking through this. When we read an article, what are we thinking? Because I think that's important. Maybe people don't understand this. When I read an article like this, what I'm looking for is principles. I'm looking for pr- principles. I'm looking for arguments. And those are all filtered then through the data of, is this person credible? Like you said, should I believe this person? Is this a genuine source? Is this a person that is for me? Is this a person that is actually, like you said, courageous? Why should I believe them? And so when we approach this, it's important that you have to disconnect your emotions from the arguments. You have to be able to look at them and say, is this a substantive argument? Is this an argument that I need to take seriously? What is the data? And emotions are still important. Don't get me wrong. But if you mainly read it as the way it was intended, which is an emotive argument, there's the danger of being swept up into the emotional nature of the argument and not being able to reason with actually what's happening. This is the reason that we're talking about this. It's uh, as we have stated before, it's not because we just love Doug Wilson so much that anytime he's attacked, we will be the first ones there to defend him. That's not it at all. It's because this sort of argument is actually harmful to what Christians are trying to do in the work of building, of building generations, of building over the next 500 years in trying to be diligent in our duties as fathers, as churchmen, as pastors. And so it's important to not be swept up into the emotive nature of these sorts of articles, but to actually look at the data and the arguments and weigh them with wisdom. So that's what we're trying to do. That's why we're talking about this. Yeah, it's really helpful. Uh, do you think there's a time and place and, and you know, you share this gif a lot. I share it a lot because it's just amazing. But the Jeremy Clarkson, is there a time and place? Many people read it. And my first, until people ask me about it, this right. is what I was doing. Yeah. Oh, no. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. is there a time and place for that? Too? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There is. Uh, there's a lot of noise out there. I mean, this happens a lot for people that post on Twitter is that you're going to get, and when you get engagement, most of it is not helpful thought out, reasoned. I mean, it's just, 
you're going to have to do that. Like, well, yeah. whatever. Anyway, moving on. So I think there is a time and place for that. So Dan, close us down with, I think, a charge to our men. Well, no, I do think about Alfred and the shield wall. This is where I've been doing a lot of study. King Alfred. King Alfred and the shield wall. So at the Battle of Ashdown, his brother, who had half of the military forces, didn't show. And so Alfred is left with the entire host of the Viking army who has the superior footing on the White Horse Hill, which you should look up. Really interesting. And uh, Alfred has half the battle, half the army, and he's about to do battle. He has a decision to make. He has a decision to His run. His pietistic brother was praying. Yeah, he lingered long in the mass Jeez. in his prayers. Anyway. <laughs> and so Alfred is standing, facing the entire Viking horde with only half of his men. And he has a decision to make. He has a decision. I'm sure going through his head, one can imagine that he's weighing his options of fleeing or of standing and fighting with only half the men, vastly outnumbered, downhill from the enemy. The enemy has a high ground. And so he has to weigh, if I flee, I will be utterly destroyed. Everybody will, will be completely destroyed in the route. Or do we stand and fight? Even though the odds look overwhelming. And it says that Alfred assembled his men. He called for the shield wall, called his men to remember their oaths. And he fought like a wild boar to the point where the Viking horde began to retreat when his, uh, his brother had shown. And so what I would encourage you men to do is that there are going to be voices, whether they're inside your head or whether they're external voices to where they say, do not stand and fight. Do not be mean spirited. Do not wage the war that's in front of you. Do not build. A fox would jump up on your wall and knock it down. Do not listen to them. Instead, uh, embrace the boldness that Christ has given you with a new life, new heart, and a new mind, and go and fight. I mean, to battle. Let's go. Dude, let's go, Dan. See, this is why... This, we don't even have to ask. This is why Dan does the charge. Dan, I want to thank you so much for joining me in this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. Once again, thank you for listening to this show. We do encourage our listeners to check us out on Patreon. Early access to content. You also get exclusive access to The Pugilist, of which this was but a mere smattering, Dan. <laughs> so many more uh, Pugilist shows on there for your listening pleasure. Join today for as little as $5 a month. And you can check the link in the show notes to sign up for Patreon. Dan, it's been a real pleasure. And until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men. Mm -hmm.